December 13th, 2010, my life changed forever. I was uh, starting a fire in a fire pit um, using gasoline. And the fumes blew the container up in my hands and set me on fire totally head to toes. What changed about my life in the last six years is you know, I was 48 at the time. I was single, um, living a um, convenient Christian life, not a bad person. Um, didn't think about Jesus much or God unless I was in trouble or my family was in trouble. Um, still a good person, but not living the life that I lead today. I think the second chance on how I relate to God through 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 this baptism of fire is as being a convenient Christian, you, you live for yourself. You live selfishly. Um, I do think more about others, others' feelings. Um, I feel like it's my obligation to share my story. I think it's the reason that I was burned. But I think it's given me the, 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 the words to talk to non-believers that I would never have done in the past, to share my story. Examples, going from physical therapy to a gym, and I'll have my iPad and listen to music and tears stolen down my my face as I'm just learning to walk, trying to get into a trot again. And people that didn't know me wouldn't know if I was okay. And I said, yeah. Well, they said, well, can I help you? And I said, no, can I help you? You have 30 minutes. I want to share a story. And I've been blessed from just from the gym to people that asked me what happened in a grocery store to being very active in the burn community and sharing my faith. Um, it's the reason that I'm that I'm still on this earth here. Today. No, I don't think it would be possible for me to be living the life and the joyous life that I've lived today without that experience of being on fire. Um, you know, there's a reason for everything. I've never tried to guess why. But again, I was not a bad person, but I think I probably would have um, never gone back to church on a regular basis. I don't think that I would have stayed connected with First Baptist Church. Quite frankly, I was part of this church before the fire and one life group and one reason or another you figure a reason why you don't need to go um, I think the fire was a wake up call there was no reason for me to be here uh, medically and when you get that second chance again the only way to stay connected with Jesus and stay connected with other believers and be bold enough to walk up to a non-believer or share your faith with non-believers is to be connected with the church. We can all be these Christians from home. There's lots of people that will write their own version of Scripture to make it fit their lifestyle. There is only one Bible and one word, and the only way to stay connected is to be an active member of a church um, in one form or another. But without the fire, I don't even want to speculate where I would be today. I never had a regret of this accident. I felt no anger. I felt no why me. I knew that Jesus and our Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for me to live this life. And he gave me a second chance. And I'm going to get it right this time. And at that moment, when you turn it all over, because there's nothing else you can do, you stop trying to be in control of your life. Turn it over to God. Turn it over to Jesus. Follow him. And he followed me right through a great recovery, a marriage, great relationship with my children, to doing God's word in my own way 
And for that, I'll always be thankful. And so never looking for a third chance because I think the second <laughs> chance was all I needed. If you, uh, if you don't know Steve or, or Catherine, you, you need to get to know them. They come to the 930 service, and the way our church does all these different services, it's hard to get to know individual people, especially if they're part of a different crew. Uh, uh, and uh, they would they'd love to spend some time with you. Uh, yeah, uh, but one of the things you get to know about Steve especially is that uh, he is passionate uh, not about his problem, uh, but passionate about Jesus in the midst of his problem. And he even said it there, you know, I love the, 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 the picture that he paints, you know, God's given him a second chance and he's not going to need a third. You know, I, I pray that for us today. I, I pray that uh, as God reveals himself through his word today, that it might be one of those second chances for us. It might be an opportunity for us to see specifically and intentionally what God is revealing and what he wants from us. By the way, you know, you sit here many times we get into this place and we're, we're looking for God to give us something. Somehow, and, and, and I'm all about God being the good, good father and everything, and I'll talk about that, and you'll hear me talk about it again at the end of this message, and, and he is the good, good father. But you know what happens is sometimes we get confused. We start thinking that we're the ones who tell God what he's supposed to be doing for us. We forget that he is God and we're supposed to be doing for him. You know, God's not sitting on the edge of of heaven uh, waiting for you to give him orders. He's, He's sitting on the edge of heaven waiting for us to do what he's called us to do. And so as we look at this passage today, it's my hope. Hello. Oh, sorry. Uh, as we look at this passage today, it's my hope and prayer that, that we begin to understand that God is calling us and we must be obedient to respond. And that right now we have a chance to say, yes, this is our chance. This is our second chance. And it's my prayer that when we leave today, we won't need a third. That we'll say yes to a radical obedience to God. That, that as we look at this passage what in Jonah chapter 2, we see that God has uh, literally created a storm in the middle of a sea uh, in order to uh, awaken obedience in Jonah. If you weren't here last week, let me kind of give you a rundown. In Jonah chapter 1, we began uh, and, and we saw how God calls us to share. Uh, the good news with others, the good news of what he's done in our life, of the grace that he's given us through Jesus Christ, and, and that God has, has given us a purpose. God has given you a purpose. I have a purpose. You don't need to read a book to find out what that purpose is. You don't have to go to a self-help seminar to find out what your purpose is. You don't need, uh, uh, you don't need some guru like me to tell you what your purpose is. It is written all throughout Scripture. Your purpose, my purpose, our purpose is to glorify God, to honor Him, to serve Him, to live for Him. That's our purpose. That's your purpose. If indeed you're a follower of Jesus, that is your purpose. Your purpose is not to be happy. Your purpose is not to get your way. Your purpose is not to, to, to have that, that, that string of good emotions that outweighs bad emotions. No, your purpose, my purpose, our purpose is to glorify God, to honor Him, to serve Him, to live for him. Jonah had that same purpose, to glorify God. But we also learn that in glorifying God, God has also given us a mission. 
Uh, now, the mission that he gave Jonah was very specific. He said in verse 2, Arise, go to that city, that great city, Nineveh. And he was supposed to go and preach to them, to share with them. He was, God was calling Jonah to go and be his envoy, his ambassador, to a city that Jonah did not like, could not stand. The, the city that occupied all the enemies of Israel. Uh, the, the city that was the capital city of the nation that had conquered Israel, that was threatening Israel, that had raped and pillaged Israel, that had taken captives of Israelites. Uh, that was fearful and ferocious, and yet God was telling Jonah, go to that city and preach to them the good news that God was offering them a chance at repentance and a chance at life. God has given us a purpose, and that is to glorify him. He's also given us a mission. As he called Jonah to be his ambassador to Nineveh, he is calling us every day to be his ambassador in our walk of life. You're called to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And guys, I got to tell you, that's not being an ambassador for First Baptist Church Norfolk. I like it when you talk good about our church, but that you're not an ambassador of First Norfolk. You're not an ambassador of your life group. You're not an ambassador of your best friend. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That is uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. You're an ambassador for Christ as though Christ, uh, we, as though God were pleading with others, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's your mission. Your mission is to go to people and beg them on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. That's your mission. That's my mission. That's our mission. That's this church's mission. Our church's mission is not to placate a certain group, a political group, or a social group, or a cultural group, either within this church or outside this church. That's not our mission, never has been, and never will be. Our mission is to be ambassadors for Christ, to go to hostile territory, to the Ninevehs around us, whether that's in our community, or it's around the world, whether it's in our, at our workplace, or, or down the street. Uh, we're supposed to go to, to places and to people who don't know Jesus, and be an ambassador for Christ and beg them, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, anything less than obedience to that is disobedience. And so Jonah determined straight up he was not going to be obedient. He determined straight up, I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. So Jonah chapter 1 verse 3 says that Jonah uh, booked passage on a ship that was going to Tarshish, the opposite direction from Nineveh. And verse 3 says that he was running from the presence of God. And we saw last week, anytime we run uh, from the mission that God has given us, we are running from the presence of God. It's not just uh, opting out of an assignment. It's us actually saying, I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to be in God's presence. You run from God's mission, you are running from his presence. And that was last week. So, so Jonah is on the ship, and as he's on the ship, God brings a storm, and the sailors and the captain get worried, and finally Jonah owns up, and he says, I'm the reason this storm has come. I'm running from God. And in that moment, Jonah had a choice. In that moment, Jonah could have said, now... <clears throat> God, I repent. I'm sorry. I'm not going to run from you anymore, and I'm going to fulfill the mission you give me. That's what Jonah could have done on the deck of that ship, and the storm would have stopped, and he would have been dropped off at the nearest port, and he could have gotten 
his beeline ticket all the way to Nineveh, and it would have been okay. But Jonah was so stubborn in his rebellion against God that he determined he would rather die than obey God. He would rather die than fulfill God's mission. He would rather die than go to the enemy and tell the enemy how that they can have peace with God. He would rather die than be obedient. And, and guys, I got to tell you, some of the things I've seen around us and, and, and even here in the church, and as long as I've been a member of the church, I've become aware that there are a lot of church members in a lot of churches that would rather die than be obedient to God in fulfilling the mission he's given us. I'd rather die. I don't care if people around me go into hell. I just want to keep things the way I want them. I'd rather die. Just throw me overboard. Let me sink in the ocean. That's what Jonah said. And that's what many churches say. And that's what many of us have said or are saying. And so Jonah's sinking in the deep blue sea. And God awakens obedience in him. Standing at death's door will do that to you sometimes. But as Jonah recognizes his lot in life god awakens this obedience in him and and that's really the big picture of this passage jonah chapter 2 it it, the, the the big picture of the passage is is that 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 god is going to lead us to to, uh, uh, to, to obedience. He's going to, going to move us closer to obedience. He's going to show us our disobedience so that we can move toward obedience. God's going to uh, awaken us and ignite in us uh, to, the, to uh, uh, being obedient to his mission. And that's really what we need to do. See, I, I got to tell you, I, I look around here and, and I know y'all, y- y- y'all are good people. How many times do you hear people say, you're just good people. You're good people. I agree. You're good people. You know, I, I was with a bunch of pastors this week uh, in Guatemala, and, and they were asking about you. I, I, good people in my church. That's true. Y'all are good people. But, you know, that's not good enough. The question is not, am I a good person? The question is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, am I obedient to God? And some of us settle for just looking good. Some of us just settle for, for, for playing the part. I, I, it, but we need radical obedience. So as we look at Jonah chapter 2, I want you to look at verses 1 and, one and, uh, one and 2. It says, now, Jonah prayed to the Lord, uh, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So... Uh, what that is is a picture of how that God has worked in Jonah to awaken obedience to Jonah's to God's mission. And and Jonah finally when he's in the middle of the fish's belly in the viscera of the of the fish he he says, "Okay, God, I cried out to you and you heard me. I I I've cried out to you and you've heard me and you've answered my cry." Uh, God had awakened in Jonah this yearning to be obedient to the mission that God had given him. And and that's what I hope and pray for you and me today. My hope and prayer is that, not that you think, boy, the preacher got excited today, or boy, that's a good message, or wow, he's he's really stomping on toes, or he's really putting together good strings of of, uh, 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 quotable words and phrases, and man, that's a 140-character little phrase that he said. I can tweet that. my, My hope and prayer today is that 
when we leave this place, we are all awakened to an obedience that we must have as followers of Jesus Christ for the mission that God has given us, whether we like it or not. That we must be obedient. Jonah realized that he had to be obedient. Why did he realize that? Well, because the distress that he faced awakened him or, or opened his eyes to see his disobedience. Up to this point, he had just been apathetic. Now, he knew he was being disobedient, but he had rationalized it. He had played this game where he said, it's okay for me to diso- be disobedient in this. How many times have you played that game? Where you said, oh, it's okay for me to be disobedient. I, 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 I have my reasons for, for not doing what God wants me to do here. It's okay. I mean, after all, those people treated me this way or that that situation is uh, not, not that much fun or, or, or uh, my nature is not inclined to, to do the other thing. And, and so God knows me, so he's going to give me a pass on my disobedience. Friends, God never gives us a pass on, on our disobedience. You know, we're sitting here today and the question is not, do I look good to other people around me? The question here today is, am I being obedient to God? Where is my disobedience? And, and, and the truth is, all of us have it. Every single one of us have disobediences in our life that we need to acknowledge. And, and hopefully, prayerfully, this passage will just be enough. The Spirit of God will convict your heart so much right now that you'll just say, Yes, Lord, I see my disobedience, and that's the only distress I need. But for Jonah, it was more than that. For me, it has been more than that, just a sermon. Uh, many times I've needed more than just a, a, a sermon from the preacher uh, to, 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 to get my attention and to open my eyes. You've heard me say before, I need uh, two-by-fours across the back of my head sometimes. I need to be crippled. I need to be, I need to be beaten. I, I need, and, and I'm not saying God does it in a harsh way, but I'm saying he does it in order to awaken me, open my eyes to my disobedience. And Jonah was going through the straits of distress. He knew that he was in trouble. You look at verse 3. It says in verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and waves passed over me. He's saying, God, you cast me in the, heart, in, in the deep depths of the sea. Well, God didn't really do that. The sailors did that. But God knew that... Uh, uh, Jonah knew that God had set it up so that the only course for the sailors to save their ship and their lives was for them to throw him into the ocean. So Jonah kind of shorthands that and say, God, you orchestrated all this so that I'd be thrown in the depths of the sea. And by the way, that was judgment for his disobedience. And he was thrown in the depths of the sea. So verse 4, and then he says, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountain, and the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm in trouble. I'm about to die. So as he's, he's in the belly of the fish, all right? And as he's sitting in the belly of the fish, he starts thinking about this journey that led him to the belly of the fish. And that journey began with him being thrown overboard into the ocean and sinking to the depths of the sea, the moorings of the mountain. That's the very bottom of the ocean. And so he sees that, that progress, but, but he does more than just recite what happened to him. I'm drowning. The weeds are surrounding me. He's doing more than just reciting what happened to him. He's telling what he's feeling in the midst of it. He said, you have cast me out of your presence. 
Verse 4, you've cast me out of your presence. Yet I'll, I'll see your holy temple again. You know what that holy presence again? I'll see your holy temple again. He's saying, I'm about to die, so I'll, I'll, I'll be there in your presence in a minute. But the ultimate pain that he was experiencing the, the, was the, the, the despair of distance between him and God. Somehow, he had missed the fact that when he was running from God's mission, he was running from God's presence, and that equated to him being distanced from God. And all of a sudden, as he's sinking in the ocean, he realizes, oh my goodness, I am distanced from God, and that is filling my soul with despair. Guys, today you and I need to understand that if you're here today and you are experiencing distance from God as a follower of Jesus, stop pointing your finger at everybody else and begin by asking the question, where is the disobedience in my life? So many people come to me and say, oh, God seems so far away. Or they come to me and say, oh, worship is so stinky. Or they come to me and say this or that or the other thing about their, their relationship with God. And they act like it's everybody else's fault but theirs. Guys, i got to tell you, nine times out of ten, if there is the despair of distance between you and God, it is not everybody else's fault. And it's certainly not God's fault because he is the eternal center that never, center that never moves. If there is a despair of distance between you and God, it's not your neighbor's fault. It's not the song leader's fault. It's not the preacher's fault. It is you in disobedience to God. So where you need to begin, it's not by pointing fingers. Oh, I wish that preacher would preach a sermon that's a little more in depth. If he just preached a little bit more in depth, then I would somehow find myself uh, without this despair of distance. Have you ever thought that the reason you have a despair of distance between you and God is not because the preacher's not preaching deep, it's because you're not obeying the things that you know to obey? You want to go deeper with God? Get obedient to the things you know. And stop playing the game and pretending like you're okay. Here's what I do. Look, this is me, okay? I've been going to church since I was born. I know the clothes to wear. I know that some of you hate it when I don't wear a tie. I know that. I know that some of you wish I'd come up here in flip-flops and shorts. I know it. I I mean, I I know the games we play in church. I've been reading my Bible every day since I was 10 or 11. I've got the journals to prove it. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you. This is me just telling you. I, I can do this. I can look good. Yeah, I've been praying every day for as long as I've known what a prayer was. I bet I haven't missed 10 days, and I probably was in the hospital one of them. I don't know. I've been praying every day for as long as I know. I've been memorizing Scripture every week since I was 10 or 11 or 12. I had a 6th grade Sunday school teacher who promised me a pocket knife if I memorized Scripture every week. It's the best gift he gave me. Not the pocket knife, but the discipline to memorize the Scripture. I've been memorizing Scripture since I was 10, 11, or 12. But let me just tell you something. Praying every day, reading your Bible every day, going to church all the time, memorizing Scripture, none of that makes up for disobedience. And no matter how good you think you look, If you've got disobedience in your heart, that's creating distance with God. And we need to understand that the despair of distance is created because of sin in my life. 
Now, one time out of ten, it's not sin. Sometimes there's despair of distance with God. He seems like, like he's far away because he's trying to teach us something. We're not being disobedient. There's just something, something that he's trying to lead us through, trying to, trying to awaken us to. It's not disobedience. But nine times out of ten, it's your sin. It's my sin. And instead of pretending like everything's okay, maybe, just maybe, we need to acknowledge the rebellion of our heart, stop being stubborn in our spirit, and acting like we're okay just because we're showing up to church wearing a tie on Sunday and wearing flip-flops on Friday. I don't know what flip-flops on Friday has to do with anything, but it sounded good right when I said it. Jonah was awakened. His eyes were open to his disobedience. He understood that he was in trouble because he had rebelled against God and he felt the pain of it. You know, that's, that's what a, a death moment does. You face death, all these things that you thought were so urgent but aren't urgent, they fade. They don't matter. Uh, standing at death's door has a way of sharpening our focus, and showing us, uh-oh, I'm about to meet Jesus. How's he going to find me? See, I think that Jonah was sinking in the depths, and, and he, he, he realized, oh my goodness, I'm about to enter into eternity, and the last thing I've done on this earth has been rebellious against God. Now, friends, that might not matter to you, but If you're a follower of Jesus, it better matter to you. See, there's going to be a day where you and I are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to give an answer to the things done in our body, whether good or bad. You're going to give an answer for your attitude. You're going to give an answer for your words. You're going to give an answer for your complacency and your apathy and your rebellion and your stubbornness and your disobedience and your rationalizations as to why all that's okay. Uh, You're going to give an account of your selfishness. You're going to give an account of all these things. You've got to give an account of that. I don't know, that ought to scare me a little bit. And we'll experience loss. See, when we get to heaven, you hear me talk, if I preach your funeral, you can count on me preaching about heaven. I'm going to preach about heaven, if indeed you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I'm going to tell everybody what you're missing. That's true, I will. uh, That's how I play it, you know. Uh, but it, 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 I'm going to talk about heaven. Now, what happens is we start talking about heaven, and we start getting all this romantic sentimentality going on. And that's right. It's good. I mean, when, when I preach about heaven at a funeral, I'm talking about the glories of heaven. We're st- passing through this dark doorway called death into the bliss and the joy of heaven. And yes, that joy is ours. And yes, that bliss is ours. But friends, there is something about heaven that ought to catch our attention more than just make us do a dance and a jig. When we think of heaven, we need to think, oh my goodness, I'm going to stand before holy God. And one glance from him will pierce through every unworthy activity that I've done as a follower of Jesus. Paul called it wood, hay, and stubble. And it's going to burn it all up and burn it all away. And the question is, what's going to be left with your life to present to God as an offering After all the wood, hay, and stubble is gone. Guys, when we face eternity, we, as followers of Jesus, look, bliss, joy, I'm doing the happy dance. 
But I'm going to stand before God. And he is going to glance at me with his holiness. And it's going to burn away all the stuff that doesn't matter. And what have I got left with? There's going to be loss. But the good news is, if, if the Spirit of God opens our eyes today uh, to our disobedience, then we can respond with repentance. And repentance brings about God's rescue. It is this beautiful thing of repentance that, that, that opens the doors of rescue to us from a loving father. A, a, a father who loves us with, with a powerful love to rescue us, to send a whale to, to, to keep us from drowning. See, Jonah understood the fish was God's rescue plan for him. The reason God, in chapter 1, verse 17, the reason God sent the fish to swallow Jonah was so that Jonah would not drown. And so in verses 1 and 2, which I've already read, Jonah says, I'm crying out to God. He's looking back to that time where he's drowning in the ocean, and he cries out to the Lord, and he says, I need help. But it wasn't just any cry. It wasn't a cry of a man that was about to drown. He didn't want to drown. It was the cry of a heart that was filled with repentance. How do we know? You look in verses uh, verse 8 and 9. He says, verse 8 and 9, it says, the, uh, verse 9, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He's saying, I'm crying out to the Lord, but there is a change in my heart. The change in my heart is this. I will no longer chase after what I want. Now I'm going to chase after what God wants. I will pay my vows. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He's saying, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Guys, that's repentance. Repentance is not you feeling sorry about the things you've done, although it includes that. It's not you just saying, I'm sorry, so sorry. You know, it, it's, it's more than that. Repentance is where we have a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior so that we are moving our life away from sin and self and moving our life in concert, in sync, with what God wants. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you need to repent in your life? See, repentance is what we need. I love repentance. Repentance is, the, is this wondrous gift of God's grace to believers, to followers of Jesus. Repentance is not only that pathway that, that leads us into, into friendship with God, but it's also that source of, 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 of power in our relationship with God that invites His rescuing love to bear on our circumstance, on our situation, on our life, on our soul. It is that repentance that returns us uh, to, to feast on the presence of God. It is that repentance that awakens us to God's rescue and, and enables God's rescue to happen in our life. Look, we, we, we look at, at, at our lives and, and, and we, we, we see all these things that need to be fixed, right? And, and it, that circumstance would change or that situation would adjust or that thing would, would be moved and then everything would be okay. Or, or as a nation, we, we look and, and we say, oh, if, if that would change or that would change or that would change and everything be okay. But friends, let's look at what Scripture says. 
Scripture says that when God's people repent, that's when rescue comes. It's not when the Democrats repent. It's not when the Republicans repent. It's not when the Tea Party repents. It's when God's people repent. If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn uh, that from their wicked ways, turn, that is repentance. Repentance is what invites the seasons of refreshing, according to Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It is repentance that we need, friends. Repent. Now, guys, if you're not willing to repent, then you're going to be stuck in the dismal swamp of your own despair and distance from God. It's not going to change. The reason so many churches are impotent is because so many churches and people in them refuse to repent. They refuse to acknowledge their disobedience to God. Now, today, what God is doing by His Spirit and through His Word is opening your eyes to your disobedience, not somebody else's, your disobedience. And then He's calling you to repent so that you might find rescue. You know what amazes me in the church, and I see it all the time, I see it regularly, it's this cycle of bridge burning and blaming others. This cycle of bridge burning where, where the person has a, has a bridge and he's in a relationship with somebody else and has his bridge and, and, and what he does, he takes gasoline, he pours it on the bridge, lights the match, burns the bridge, and then points his finger at the other person and says, it's your fault. And then they walk across another bridge in another relationship and, and takes the fuel, puts it on the bridge, takes the match, lights it, burns the bridge, points his finger, says, it's your fault. Does it again and again and again and again. And all the while saying, it is everybody else's fault that I'm in the situation that I'm in. When in reality, what needs to happen is that person with the match and the fuel needs to repent before God and get right. Because nothing, nothing, nothing is going to make it better until that person repents. You and I sitting here, we like to point our fingers at everybody else and say how it's their fault that everything's wrong and bad and nasty and ugly. No, what we need to do is take responsibility for our own disobedience that God has revealed to us, bow before a holy God and repent of our sin. Repent. And until we do that, we're stuck. We're not going to find rescue. So what Jonah teaches us is that when we repent, God God brings rescue. And then God's rescue ignites obedience. I really believe that one of the reasons why so few followers of Jesus in the church today share the gospel with other people is because we have failed to remember or rehearse. We fail to understand The rescue that God has given, is giving, and will give. Somewhere along the line, we began to live in the apathy of our disobedience and acting like it's okay. Acting as if that great rescue of God's love toward sinners like you and me, His sending His Son Jesus to die in our place upon a cross and be buried and be raised from the dead, we act like that's a mundane thing, just a common thing. And so, we live in disobedience to the mission that God has given us. But when we remember the rescue of God, when in our disobedience we see our sin, 
and, and seeing our sin, we, we are desperate for, for, for God like, like, like a man is desperate for oxygen. We're, we're desperate for God, and so we repent our sin, and God brings the rescue. And as God brings his rescue to us, then we are again inflamed with an urgency to be obedient to him. Now, we see this in, in verses 8 and 9. Jonah says, uh, for, those, for those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Those who regard worthless or vain idols, empty idols, forsake their own mercy. Uh, that term for mercy, that is the Greek, uh, the Hebrew term uh, hesed. And it means the steadfast love of God, the faithful love of God, the nourishing love of God, the providing love of God. It's the love of God that, that we desperately need and that God desperately gives to those of us in desperation. It's that wondrous love that nourishes our soul. Now what, what Jonah is saying is, a, is really kind of an autobiography. It's, it's a statement about himself. He says, those who regard vain idols forsake this love that feeds their soul. Now, what are these vain idols? Well, many of us would, would again, we would point at idols of other religions, and, and rightly so. Those, those uh, other gods, whether it's an Islam perspective of, 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 of Allah, uh, which is a false god, or, or whether it's a, a, a Buddha, or, or Hindu, or or, or, or Baha'i, or, or uh, uh, down in Guatemala, there's, a, there's a, a people that worships the trees and the bees and the birds and the seas and all that kind of stuff. All of those are false gods. All of those are empty idols. And we, rightly so, should, should, should go to those people and say, that's an empty idol and it's going to give you nothing but pain and sorrow. But really, Jonah was being more personal than talking about false gods. He was talking about himself. The empty idols, the vain, worthless idols that, to which he was referring was his preference to do his will rather than God's will and his prejudice against other people that kept him from doing God's will. He had created idols of his attitudes. He had created an idol of his self. And that idol was keeping him from seeing and tasting and knowing God's nourishing love and rescuing love. What are the idols in your life? Come on. You got to see them. You got to know them. What is it that keeps you from being obedient to God? Maybe it's a habit. A habit that you've been embracing for days or decades a habit that releases endorphins in your brain or uh, brings excitement to your soul, whatever it is, but, but it's something against God's will, something contrary to what he desires or what he reveals in his word, and you keep on holding on to it. Make no mistake, that's your idol, or one of them. Or maybe it's a relationship. You know, anytime you have a relationship that leads you to do exactly opposite of what the Bible tells you to do, in your word, in your thought, and in your deed. That relationship must either change or you're calling it more important than God. 
Or maybe it's not a relationship. Maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a job or some fun and games. Or maybe it's your own bitterness. You know, I, I found that bitterness can be an idol just like pleasure can be an idol. Now, whatever the idol is, it's something that you're creating and have created. And anything in your life that keeps you from being obedient to God on a consistent basis is an idol. Stop rationalizing your idols. Stop acting like they're okay. If it leads you to disobedience or keeps you from being obedient, guys, you need to call that idol exactly what it is. It's robbing you of God's love. So you need to tear down the idol. That's exactly what Jonah had committed to do. He said, I'm going to leave aside these worthless idols that, that caused me to forsake God's love. I'm going I'm to leave them behind and I'm going to chase after what I have promised. And my promise is I'm going to go to Nineveh and I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Now we're going to see this about Jonah. Jonah didn't enjoy it. You know, sometimes obedience is not a blast. And Jonah didn't enjoy it and Jonah didn't like the result. It was just as he feared people were saved. But Jonah was obedient. Some of us need to get out of the, this, this whole idea that if it's not fun for me, if it doesn't feed some, some emotional center in my life, then I'm not going to do it. Or it's not right. Some of us need to stop pretending like we're mature believers when in reality we're still Babes in Christ feeding off milk, not meat. Because we feed off milk whenever we say, if it doesn't make me feel good, I'm not going to do it. If it's contrary to what I want, I'm not going to do it. That's, that's, being a, that's being a babe in Christ. A mature follower of Christ at least acknowledges that I've got either a choice to obey God or disobey God. If I disobey God... It's going to be bad. If I obey God, I'm not going to enjoy it, at least not at first, but it's better. Which one are you? Will you give up everything to obey God? Give up your own desires in order to be obedient to God? Give up your own uh, uh, weird way of looking at things or unique way of looking at things, acting as if the way you look at the world is the only way to look at the world, even though God looks at the world different than the way you look at the world. And Jesus said it a little bit differently, but the message is the same. If anyone desire, Luke chapter 9, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels, that one will save it. Are you willing to be that person? If not, then don't call yourself a faithful follower of Jesus. Recognize that you're living in disobedience. The Apostle Paul said it a little bit differently, but it's the same message. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Are you living your life 
crucified to yourself and alive to God through Jesus Christ? Or do you love yourself so much that you love yourself more than you love God? If you do, then you've got to repent. That's disobedience. You've got to tear down the idols. And you might say, well, Eric, this is, this is uh, it's a little meddlesome for you to talk like this. I know it is. But it's my job. No, it's my calling. Until we take seriously our disobedience, stop rationalizing it. Until, as we take seriously our disobedience, and it leads us to repentance, then we're forfeiting rescue. And if our rescue does not lead us to be urgent about our obedience to God, then we will quickly drift back into disobedience. My prayer for you is that you take this as your second chance and you won't need a third. Would you bow your heads, please? Simple question. Has the Spirit of God opened your eyes to your own disobedience? And if so, are you ready to repent? And if you're not ready to repent, then don't play games with God, acting like you're okay with Him. Just go ahead and say, God, I don't want to repent right now. I want to hold on to my disobedience. My prayer for you is that if you are ready to repent your disobedience, that you would do that today. And in your repentance, you would expect and receive the rescue that God offers for your weary and trapped soul. Ultimately, finally, that rescue comes. It's my prayer and, and belief that it will awaken in all of us a deeper urgency, a greater passion and fire to be obedient to God's call, which is to be his ambassador in our world. Everywhere we go, whether it's at the gym or at work or at the grocer, grocery store or the mall. Now, we're ready and earnest about helping others see how that they can find life through Christ. Guys, this is a journey. We're all on it. If you're a follower of Jesus, then my prayer is that you will not rest until you repent. That you won't be able to sit in complacency and apathy, excusing your sin and your disobedience and your rebellion against God. So today, I invite you to repent. Today, I invite you to be rescued. Today, I invite you to cry out to God, your loving Father. He knows your heart. He knows you. You can't fool Him. You can't can't play games with Him, pretend like you're something that you're not with Him. He knows you inside and out. So cry out to Him. Let him hold you close and lead you to repentance, to rescue, and to obedience. So, Father, in these moments, have your way with us. Bring glory to your name. God, lead your people to repentance today.
It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.